You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you are interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at $2, 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. Hi, One of Us fans. This is Matt from the Nighthawks Podcast. And I'm Trevor of the Nighthawks Podcast. You may remember our ASMR-appropriate butterscotch baritone voices from several episodes of Screener Squad. And we're here to tell you about the Nighthawks Podcast, where you can also find us getting even more granular with the movies. You say it's called the Nighthawks Podcast? The Nighthawks Podcast. The very same Nighthawks podcast that covers new movies, old movies, mainstream blockbusters, and cult classics from days gone by? The Nighthawks podcast. That's available on Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, and other fine podcatchers. The Nighthawks podcast is also available at nighthawkspodcast.com. Do you like how we keep saying Nighthawks podcast? Nighthawks podcast. Well, every part of goodwill that I had for New Zealand and the New Zealand tourism board kind of went out the window after seeing this one. I mean, I spent months of my life just sitting, thinking, and plotting, what if we took a vacation to New Zealand and visited all the sets from Lord of the Rings? Yeah, I'm that kind of dork. Whatever. Whatever. And now I'm like, yeah, I don't know. This, <laughs> I guess I should have thought more along the line of Wolf's Creek than the Shire. I guess coming home in the dark is basically just the pre-scouring of the Shire. I got an Australian mad once by perpetually conflating him with New Zealand and vice versa. And he finally <laughs> yelled at me and he goes, I know they sound the same to you, mate, but we don't sound like we're always asking a question. <laughs> <laughs> coming home in the dark is so, well, dark and unrelenting and it very much feels like i mentioned before wolf's creek something like that the moment they shut the blinds there's no more light coming through this starts off like as dark as most movies usually get and finds a way to get darker as it goes along so it's not for everyone it's not torture porn which usually a lot of time people describing that sort of thing we're gonna go there unless you mean psychologically then no and thank God it's not based on a true story, because I was worried. <laughs> so was I. A lot of films like this, a lot of horror films, they have a subtle political subtext. The politics of this ends up feeling like maybe a light subtext, and then you're like, oh, wait, no, it was the text the whole time. That's another warning. If that's not your type of thing, maybe you don't want to watch this one either. But if you just like a really intense, gripping psychological thriller, then maybe this is yours. Joining me, and I suspect having a variety of views, on this is Matt. Hello. Luane. Holy shit. <laughs> and Ray. Hello. So what do we got here? We've got a nice family. A Wellington school teacher who his family calls Hoagie because of his last name. I forget it's Hoganson or something like that. Played by Eric Thompson, who I was like, why do I know that guy? He was Hades on the old TV shows Hercules and Xena. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. You just relieved my uh, who is that guy syndrome. His wife, Jill, played by Miriam McDowell. And then their teenage sons, who are sort of like, you know, very typical teenagers. They're 
bickering back and forth, but not in a vicious way. They're gone off on a road trip out into the country, and they're sitting sort of watching the... I don't know what people do when they go to the country for no apparent reason, but that's what they do. I guess they sit on the ground and they look at things and go, look, nature. All right, we're done. Can we go home now? Isn't there a screen here somewhere that we came to see? I don't understand. What was the point of this? Is there a ride on some level? There is not. People just stare at rocks and shit. As they're sitting there, they start to see two people coming up on them. And they're like, wait a minute, who is that? Well, that is two guys named Mandrake, played by unrecognizably by actor Daniel Gillies. He's just got tons of facial hair in this thing. And you might know him if you watch a lot of TV. He was one of the main characters on The Vampire Diaries, The Originals, which is a spinoff of that and then saving hope less recognizable his sidekick friend who's very quiet tubs and they make it clear very quickly they are here with malevolent intent by first order just kind of fucking with the family and then with the utterance of a single line after they uh, you know instruct them now play nice with those cops in the distance nobody do anything and the cops go away and they're like this is going to be the moment you're going to look back and wish you had really chosen to do something as he murders both of the children right then and there now that sounds like I'm giving away too much, but this is the first 10 minutes of this movie. This is where we start as he takes the just devastated parents, puts them in their car with them and start driving to where he'll only say is home. So as this goes along, both the mother and father are trying to think of ways to get out of this situation. But what do you do? You know, the guy in the back seat's got the gun trained on one and the mom is still passed out for being hit over the head for a lot of this. And we start to see little glimmers of maybe this is more than just two random psychos out for a murderous joyride. Maybe there's actually something going on that has to do with one of their past. Or in other words, because I'm saying this in the review... Definitely, this is probably something to do with it. Otherwise, why would I even bring it up in a review? That was weird, Cox. What if one of them is from outer space? They're not. But, you know, it'd be weird if I said that in the review. I jumped on this because the director has done two kind of horror comedies. He did Fresh Meat and Black Sheep, which are both New Zealand-centric and fun little horror comedies. Uh, this is not fun. Fresh Meat featuring uh, Boba Fett himself, Tamora <laughs> Morrison. This is not Black Sheep. Like, it's not. It's, no. it's a whole different critter. Matt, it's funny because I jumped on this for a different reason, thinking it would be kind of dark. Because I didn't realize this was the same guy who'd done Black Sheep and everything, which are movies I really like. I just jumped on it because it had just played Fright Fest in London and everybody was recommending it. I was like, ooh, okay, good, dark Fright Fest movie. So I jumped on it for that and, and boy, did I get dark. Oof. The sheer unrelenting void in which this movie forces you to stare into. This is based on a short story, actually, which sort of fictionalizes the actual events. There were definitely things like this that happened in New Zealand's past, right? But not exactly this story. It's not based on two real people and a real school. And it was an award-winning short story and then was written here for the screen by an award-winning playwright. This is definitely being looked at as a performer's film. Like, it's all very dialogue-y. This character, especially the father, trying to figure out what to do about the situation with one very loquacious kidnapper and one very quiet but menacing one who are both obviously crazy as other people die along the way for no good reason except why not. The kidnappers have a very George and Lenny dynamic, and the quiet one is actually also a tremendous portrayal. He really puts a lot of energy out for a guy that's not saying anything. Yeah. 
I was really taken with essentially the four performances in the movie because like the wife, Jill's character, who alternates like very accusatory and also very like nihilistic. She's grieving deeply to very successfully kind of trying to curry favor and divide the two kidnappers. Those are great moments too. I'm very taken with the acting. What I keep coming around to is just like, I don't know if I can recommend this to my mom, you know? No, I can't. No. Way, way, way too dark for even most people I know who are like casual horror fans. Because this isn't fun. It's not trying to be fun. It's extremely well written. It's extremely well acted. And it's extremely well shot. But fun is a quality that is not in evidence here. You're not supposed to be having a good time. Which I think maybe, you know, the performance been given by the guy playing Mandrake, Daniel Gillies, he's playing it very big. And like I said, loquacious, and it kind of feels like it's going to be fun on some level and a sort of like insidiously fun, but he's just not written that way. What snapped me out of that is they set him up like he's going to be kind of a Bill Mosley, Rufus Firefly. Right. Yes. Kind of real gregarious, almost Manson-like figure. And then he breaks that a couple times when the topic and the darkness of the plot would kind of indict him and involve him becoming vulnerable. Mm-hmm. He breaks and, and for a few seconds at a time, a couple times in the movie, becomes kind of childlike and changes the subject. That helps it avoid being the like the horror movie slasher that you think is kind of sweet a little bit, you know? <laughs> It keeps him from being Freddy Krueger clever. You can see the holes in the armor, especially when it gets to the very, very end. There's a curious decision in the way in which to end this film, I thought, Mm -hmm. that left me thinking about it quite a bit afterwards of like, how did we get here and do I believe it or do I not believe it and think it's just a convenient way to end it? I really am split on the ending. Yeah, I was as well because I was like, okay, yeah, I can see this, I think, but... Then I really felt like, why did I watch this? (laughs) Like, it doesn't resolve in a way that I'm just like, well, that was stupid or something like that. It just resolves in a way that I was not really expecting, and maybe that's to its credit. But if I'm going to go along on this ride, (laughs) I'd like for the ending to be satisfactory in some way. Either it makes a switch to completely over the top, or... Because, I mean, it's not going to have a happy ending. It's just how bad the ending is going to be in terms of things that happen to the characters. And I got to the end, and I'm like, I didn't like going on this ride. It was really (laughs) hard, and I was hoping there was going to be something at the end of it. Either a little ray of light or complete annihilation. But what we got left me going, ugh. It just felt like to some degree the, like I said, aforementioned sociopolitical subtext here that becomes the text kind of dominated over the structure of a thriller. At the end, they're just like, we just want you to get this part. And it didn't really seem like it mattered that much how characters behaved after that point. I think I probably am coming down on the side that I like the ending a little more. Then I'm hearing from you guys and I know that I can't, that we all can't discuss it very much without giving away, you know, what it is. But there is something in the end that harkens back to something earlier in the film. The way I saw the ending, that was satisfactory for me. But again, it's hard to, gosh, sometimes these reviews are hard to be spoiler free. But I think the whole film overall is well worth the watch if you can stomach the dark subject matter. Because I do think it is well worth a watch. Keep going into your final thoughts, Ray. I think that all of the acting is very 
very good in this film, even though it is a dark subject matter. They keep that up and they kind of keep their foot on that gas pedal, if you will, even though it's not this movie that just moves at a very fast pace. I'm just saying that they keep their foot on that. We're not going to let this dark subject matter off the hook. We're not going to let the audience off the hook. And Mandrake, the main mastermind, if you will, of these two psychopaths, he's not going to let up on that gas pedal either. He is going to make the two people he's got in the car, he's going to exact a payment from them that he thinks needs to be exacted. It's hard to recommend this movie. It's in the sense that you can't just say, oh, yeah, watch it with your kids and everybody come around. It's a good family flick. You know, no, it, it's not. But it is a really good film. And for those who can stomach it, hey jump in and watch this for the acting alone and the directing it needs to get a watch so i am going to give it 88 out of 100 bottles of beer on the wall Luane, <laughs> this is why you don't do outdoorsy shit in the middle of nowhere <laughs> just as a heads up right i can there. think of many reasons but this is one of them <laughs> this is certainly one i think that we should have in mind this movie looks good it sounds good. The performances are pretty solid. It's just hard to watch. And I finally figured out what it was. There's this sense of helplessness that you as the audience have while watching this. There's nothing you can do, obviously. I mean, you can never do anything when you're watching a movie unless it's one of those weird choose your own adventure things. But in this case, not only can you not do anything, but there's really nothing that the people you're following can do. It feels like the course is really set and it really just becomes how bad is this going to be for everybody. And that just makes it really hard to watch. I think this is a genuinely good movie, but I don't know who can watch it or who should watch it or who would watch it. And so instead of getting what probably would have been a four out of five, it's going to get 3.5 out of five drunken teenage idiots who should have just listened to the old man. <laughs> Matt, what I like about that sense of hopelessness is in your head, you're cursing at them for complying. And then later, as you see what happens, like they try not complying and like Tubbs just very casually overwhelms him and cripples him for the rest of the movie. It's like, oh, if they'd have done that thing you were yelling at them to do in the first 10 minutes, that wouldn't have worked either. A certain part of your brain in a horror movie is always going over what you would do and what you would do better, what you do worse. And you are deprived of that while you're watching it. You have to sit there with them and be in the back of the car with them while you just kind of wait for the guy to do whatever he feels like doing. It's a gnarly feeling, you know, just for that immersion and so much on the technical side and the acting side that's good here. I'm going to give it four and a half out of five extremely depressing name tags. As much as I agree with a lot of the positive things we're saying here, you know, certainly the acting was really good. It was shot very well. It was written very well. Overall, the writing is ultimately where my problem is. This does something that I see happen strangely a lot when discussing the very thorny idea of abuse, abusers, and the behavior of those who have been abused. It asks ethical questions and it doesn't have any real answers for it. And it never asks the right questions about it either. It's just like the whole thing is kind of a setup for a moral quandary in the audience to go, well, maybe these people kind of have it coming. I'm sorry, but they don't. And also these guys are like totally not just focused on them. They are random spree killers. So there's just no way to feel sorry for them. And if you really wanted us to feel that, then we needed to get into more complicated questions about that. No one ever says, how do you not 
see that what you're doing is 10 times worse than anything that was ever done to you? How would you feel if somebody that you hurt, their family came back and did the same thing to you? No one's ever asking that, but that's a super pertinent question given this situation. And I just get frustrated. I'm like, this isn't a real ethical conundrum. You act like it is, but it's not. So I can't really get into the third act for that reason. I'm like, you put yourself into a, a difficult quandary to create that emotional confusion in your audience, but it never felt real to me. It, it never stuck that landing enough for that to work. And I just got frustrated. I think that's one of our biggest problems with the ending. It just felt like a shrug and like, I don't know, at least it's different, but you didn't see that coming. Like, uh, okay, but that's not the type of movie this is. And by the end of this, I was actually kind of pissed off at it. You're great at writing dialogue, and it's such an interesting setup, but about the halfway point, it starts tilting over more and more into what I was afraid it was going to do, which is exactly what it does. So, I mean, as much as there's a lot of things to like about this, it just didn't get it home. I'm going to give this six and a half out of ten CDs that... God damn it, eventually Tubbs is going to get a chance to play. I was like, were you expecting it to be something really puerile? Like, the character Tubbs is a CD, he keeps trying to play it, and he keeps not being able to, and I expected he'd finally put it on, and it would be like the Spice Girls or something, and he would be totally into it. <laughs> In another movie, they would have done that, Absolutely. but that was one of their few character moments for him. And no Miami Vice jokes at his expense, nothing. Ah, oh, missed opportunity there. I find after you break a guy's arm, smack him down like a schoolboy and, and break his arm, he usually doesn't go like, where's Crockett? <laughs> <laughs>